Welcome to the 74th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about small-scale networking for small home or office environments. Welcome back, Jared. Thank you. About time. I uh, can't help but feel I helped force this subject tonight. You did. And I'm glad that you did. Before we dive in, because we've got a lot to cover, this weekend is very special to all of us here, and probably a lot of our listeners. It's the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. Yay! Yay! (laughs) So everyone knows the names of Neil Armstrong and, and Buzz Aldrin. These are famous people that, as our lovely vice president said, will be known a thousand years from now. But I want to remind everyone that not only did we just go to the moon, we went to the moon six times, sent seven missions. The only mission that failed was Apollo 11. Go watch the movie. There were over 400,000 people that made the moon landings possible. And to make sure that we credit the people that, that did the engineering and made all this possible, Jared, who is Michael Collins? Man. You're going to embarrass me. Ah, man. Michael Collins was the commander of the pilot module for Apollo 11. His name is not household because he didn't walk on the moon. But he was the guy in the spacecraft making sure that the moon lander could get down and get back up. And everybody could get back home. So anyway, happy Apollo 11, everyone. So, yeah, um home and office a small office networking equipment jared so i am in the process of buying a new home and uh i guess it's a blessing and a curse i'm going to get to kind of greenfield the network situation in this home um which is second system caused me yes (laughs) (laughs) caused me a lot of uh actually spent a lot of time trying to map this stuff out um because while there is some contenders nowadays it's almost made it more difficult to choose you know i guess we could dive right into it the the bigger question for me or the first question i had to answer was do i want to stay stick with you know gigabit or did i want to go up to 10 gig and while it'd be awesome to sit there and have a 10 gig network in the home it just was not going to be feasible for my situation just because i will have a detached garage that will be my home office and to try and basically have two switches that are 10 gig that they would have like a 10 gig backbone and, and all that. It was just going to get too expensive. Uh, add in the fact that I need POE for IP cameras and other things. It's just going to add a, a lot of expense. However, 10, 10 gig has come down. Well, also to be fair, a lot of listeners may be thinking that 10 gig is not really useful in either a small office or home environment, but there are now multiple vendors that sell 10 gig ethernet gear for home use. Um, Notably, Apple has the Mac Mini, has a 10-gig Ethernet port. The new Mac Pro will have it. I think the iMac Pro has a 10-gig Ethernet port. And then NAS is another, the higher-end small office or home office stuff is starting to ship with 10-gig ports. So it is a reasonable choice. It is a reasonable decision to be making when you are outfitting an office fresh. Exactly. It's getting to the point where 10-gig is is consumer-level equipment like Gigabit was 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and especially like you're mentioning a NAS or some sort of appliance where you've got multiple users pulling data off of it. Uh, and nowadays with the you know advent of SSDs and 
uh, NVMe and, and all this where you can actually be faster than than faster than a gigabit network. Uh, the network needs to be faster again. So, uh, but yeah, so I I think I'm gonna stick with a gig um, just to keep costs down because I am gonna have to kind of duplicate things or have a a, a stretched core or whatever where I have some stuff in the office that's a remote and then stuff in the main house. So I guess the other question there becomes, do you want to buy new gear or do you want to go browse the used market? Um, I've worked for several organizations, especially smaller organizations that are not well-funded, that bought a lot of equipment on eBay or via resellers who did used gear. Um, Cisco equipment, especially when it's new, is horrifically expensive. It is almost impossible to pay for it unless you are a large organization or you're getting deep discounts via education or something. Um, but Cisco does make quality gear. So as you move out of the eight or $10,000 switches, you are left with a number of actual reasonable options. Yeah. And, and for me, the biggest thing was, was updates. Can I, can I get a patch for a vulnerability that gets discovered years from now? And so while I'd love to, uh, while I would love like a use Cisco, I'm not going to pay the money to keep a support contract on it to get, uh, iOS updates. Um, you know, there are some other uh, options, like uh, uh, HP has like a lifetime warranty on their stuff. Uh, their updates are easy to get to, but I've I've also seen now where apparently now uh, when they replace a switch under this lifetime warranty, uh, since HP bought um, Aruba, they'll send you an Aruba switch instead, which doesn't have a lifetime warranty. So it's almost like you get a one replacement and then the next one's going to be uh, on you. Um, so I've, I've kind of stuck with quote unquote, what I call prosumer, uh, hardware. And that's, uh, the two biggest ones in my mind are ubiquity or Microtech. Um, there's also Netgear, um, a few of the others like that, but I, I like PFS or, or Microtech or uh, ubiquity because, uh, they offer a, a CLI that I tend to favor, uh, especially ubiquities. Theirs is very similar to iOS cause it's, it's based on Viata, which, tries to mimic iOS-like. Uh, I know that Microtech has a very unique uh, interface. Isn't that right, Jack? Don't you have some Microtech gear? I do have some Microtech gear. And it does have a rather intimidating web interface. That really is my only drawback to the to the equipment. It's incredibly powerful once you once you get the, the hang of it. Where the Ubiquity interface for their for their gear is usually aimed at being very user-friendly and very shiny, I find it less powerful as well. So I have a bunch of Ubiquiti gear at home. Uh, mostly, Most of my wireless networking here is Ubiquiti. And it is, it is much more capable than the average consumer level, you know, the, the Nighthawks or what have you, of the, the home Wi-Fi market. But it is... So let's give a pro tip. If your uh, wireless home router or the thing you got with your internet service plan looks like a spaceship with 18 antennas yeah that's going to give you questionable performance yeah the ubiquity gear gives you a lot of the the knobs to turn and the bells and whistles and all the pieces in terms of the power but it doesn't give you some of the really advanced pieces um like they don't have dhcp servers running in their gear so you can't set dhcp options for various pieces you have to buy extra equipment or run your own or those things and the the microtech stuff from what i understand it can do everything on all the devices because it, it the way they've built their their platform. 
The Microtech stuff is much more difficult to get configured, but as far as the casual use, I think they're pretty they're pretty comparable if you can trade off some of the configurability of like if you don't need to get the exact piece that you want. Sure, the Ubiquity stuff is great and has a wonderful user interface and, and those things. But if you really are trying to set up like a multi-site VPN or you're trying to give one of your employees well, yeah, so trying to give one of your employees a VPN connection back into the network, giving them one of the little Microtech switches is usually a really great configurable option and has, it supports every Cypher suite, it supports all of the options, it does all the things, and it can be remote, remotely managed very easily. Now, I will say that um, their Edge router and Edge switch series is a little more uh, configurable. Uh, those have CLIs. Actually, they don't even interface with the Ubiquity or the Unify uh, controller software. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, and that was, that's one of my complaints against uh, Ubiquity is that it seems like they're trying to, you know, years ago, the cost performance ratio was crazy insane. You could get these access points for under $100 that were doing AC, that was doing uh, tens of hundreds of users. You could do all these sorts of things. And now, especially on some of these other pieces of equipment. I'm, I'm especially looking at maybe getting some of their uh, security cameras as well. And it's the, the value just isn't there. Uh, the sensors that they're using in these cameras, you can get in, you know, uh, other Chinese manufacturers like Hikvision or Dehua, and they're only a hundred dollars for those cameras. And uh, Ubiquity is still charging $300. Well, I think my bigger problem with Ubiquity stuff is that if you have Ubiquity Wi-Fi gear and you're using the Unify controller, you have to get a Unify security gateway to do packet shaping and packet limiting and, and whatnot. But you also can't control a bunch of their other devices. There isn't a unified way to say the Edge Router X's and the Edge Router Lights and the, uni the Ubiquity Unify um, access points. And that needs to be brought together somehow, and it's not currently. So that is a big strike against them. I really like the Unify Magic Garden from Ubiquity. If you buy that line of products, they manage together really well, and they perform really well. I was always disappointed the edge routers wouldn't integrate. And my thing about the Ubiquity stuff is I'm doing prosumer home or you know a small office, very small office, where like I'm the only person or a handful of people. And I don't want really a yet another component I have to set up and configure and manage and run and all that. That is the administration component for the network. And Ubiquity requires a, a management piece, which you can buy their Ubiquity key to do. You can install the open source software on a Linux box or a Raspberry Pi but that's still an extra piece that you have to know and plan for to manage that that infrastructure. But the user experience of running that infrastructure is really quite nice. Also, their their equipment does look good. I mean, if you put it up on a on a ceiling, it looks like it's a a small uh, um, smoke detector, or uh, it almost blends in um, compared to some of the other devices, especially uh, Microtik. Although they're getting a little better too. And of course, there is a kind of a third way for getting very controllable home network or office networking gear, via something like PFSense, where you're actually running, I think it's a BSD um, 
kernel underneath. It's definitely free BSD. And it is extraordinarily powerful, but it's also a time vampire. So unless you have a network engineer who really wants to do it that way, I would caution against that for anything less than a very serious setup. It's It takes a lot more time to get it doing the same things in terms of routing and DHCP and the network management options that you get out of the microtics and the other pieces. You know, it, I kind of beg to differ. I think it's easier to set up than the microtics. So um, I'll put in the show notes one of my favorite pieces of microtech gear because it just kind of does everything and it's a great one-piece drop-in of what you what you need to build your, like, especially a home network out of. And you can, it's a switch with a built-in uh, wireless access point, and it comes out of the box configured. You put your your link to your uh, network provider in one port. The rest of the ports are a switch, and the wireless is on the same VLAN. So out of the box, it works really quite well. If you stay in that sort of basic configuration, like any sort of home router, it works pretty well. Once you start making a couple changes, though, that's where the microtechs got. I had to figure them out. Um, the PFSense router is usually something you're going to install on a an old computer or a new computer, even, or perhaps you know a Raspberry Pi with some uh, USB dongles hanging off. There's more limitations to that that setup because usually it's much more difficult to get good wireless on a Raspberry Pi or a Linux box, a free BSD box, a pair of wireless rabbit ears behind your aluminum case and not going to work very well. Um, so usually I don't suggest folks do wireless uh, with a PFSense box directly, but the user interface is really straightforward. Making simple changes just to enable DNS and DHCP, the default settings are usually pretty good. That's I, not a hard way to go for a, for having a real bulletproof firewall at your house. In fact, I kind of recommend the PFSense stuff as, as your basic firewall to make yourself safe. Um, I use a lot of Microtik, and I use the Netgear switches a lot as well. The metal ones are awesome, and they never die, and they're inexpensive to come by. Yeah, those little fanless Netgear um, gigabit switches, they are amazing. I I love PS, PFSense. My only complaint is that it's difficult, or not difficult, it is not cheap to build a router that is that can handle gigabit internet uh, and have Intel NICs be low power and be quiet. Uh, when you start adding low power or quiet to it, uh, it gets more difficult to just pick off a, a Dell off of eBay and throw PFSense on it. <laughs> I had a little shuttle XPC that I wasn't using that wasn't very old. And so I had that hardware, and I rigged it for silent running at that point, and put some nicks in it, which ran me about 150 bucks. So I already had the hardware. I spent some good money on it, but really, you're going to pay 60, 100 bucks a month on your network connection for your home. More if you're doing a small business. That's not a lot of cash, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made, frankly. One of the things to keep in mind about this, though, is for a home office or a, a small business, noise can be a significant factor. You can have conditions under which you can't have a loud device sitting on the entryway desk or in the office in your computer where you're taking business calls or other things. Because sometimes 
having that extra noise can be a... That's the problem I find with a lot of the used professional or somehow you've gotten a professional piece of equipment that fell off a truck or something. Um, They're great, powerful network equipment. And, you know, when I was a college freshman, they're really cool to have in my dorm room, but they're loud. And usually the volume of the equipment just doesn't go so well with, you know, office work. Yeah, I have one of those those 48 or 44 port gigabit HP switches you mentioned a little while ago, the ones with the, the unlimited lifetime warranty or whatever. But it's loud. So it is in an air-conditioned crawl space. It's not in the office. It's It's in a different part of the house entirely. So... It can't be heard in the rest of the house. Yeah, and that's one area where, like, especially, like, Ubiquity, but I think even Microtik, to a, a lesser sense, since they're, I wouldn't be surprised if they're using the same hardware almost, um, where they really just need, like, a small fan, and they're only going to kick on if you're using, P, uh, if you're using a lot of PoE, and uh, so they're usually virtually silent otherwise. Most of the prosumer stuff that I think we've talked about is fanless. I have a 16-port. Uh, Unify switch here, and it has a fan, but it only will kick on if it gets really hot. And like I said, it's only get really it's only going to get that if it's supplying a lot of PoE power. So. And this brings us to kind of that, that question between okay, so you're a, a small business, or you are setting up your home office, and you're trying to get things done correctly. Is it really worth it to buy stuff new and get the new fanless whatever, or to go into the used market to look for more prosumer or higher end equipment? Or to build your own. And I am generally of the opinion that businesses don't want to be messing around with trying to find a replacement piece of hardware on eBay or, or whatnot. And that for a small business, it's generally better to buy slightly less powerful but covered by warranty or support contract kind of pieces of gear. I think, Derek, you disagree with me. No, actually, I agree with you. I, I just have found that a lot of companies uh, are... A lot of companies I've worked for, when it was, uh, they were smaller companies, given the choice of a used piece of equipment that offers features X, Y, and Z, or buying a new piece of equipment that only has feature Y, and having a support contract, they've just bought used equipment. Like, I, I, had, I had one company where we had an older Cisco uh, 4600 as our core switch, and the uh, backup plan was just, we had another one that was just sitting there. The, another chassis and it was just like okay well if this one dies we're just going to yank all the cards and put it in the other one so the, ult- the ultimate cold standby <laughs> right because so there, what kind of firewall equipment do you guys suggest that's you know, something you can buy off the shelf and perhaps has a support warranty that isn't going to break the bank so there are some vendors that do pf sense boxes um and this is more this is outside of what a, a home office would really go for but the pf sense stuff i want to say it's what two hundred dollars for their entry level gear the the supported stuff that you can you can buy with a with a contract and a warranty and whatnot um i don't have a lot of answers for firewalls though unfortunately firewalls to me are you know your basic level of safety and i don't really trust the box that comes with your internet connection especially if you're doing a residential internet connection so, you know, when you're talking about building versus buying, I do both. Most of the wireless and network equipment I'll buy new Microtex or Ubiquity if I can find, you know, equipment that's new in the box on a deal somewhere. 
somebody's liquidating some stock or something, an old product, that's awesome, but I'll buy the equipment new. But usually for my firewall, I will build or somehow cobble together a PC that I know I can trust and do something like PFSense or Linux or Monowall or something similar. Okay, yeah. so he, I just looked it, it up. The PFSense SG1100 is 160 bucks, and it's got three gigabit Ethernet ports in it. It, it comes with a support contract. It's got it's an ARM processor based um, machine, but we, as we've seen in the recent years, those are really not limited, and they have standard support, so you can definitely get those. I have and... not used their commercial offerings, but their commercial offerings have a very good reputation. Okay, I'll stick a link in the show notes to the to this to this device, and you can look at the other ones they have as well if you're really curious. But it's not going to be a ridiculous price to get a supported piece of hardware. But I would definitely recommend using some sort of firewall that is not your internet service provider's machine, a box that they provide. It's really it's really convenient if you get your internet from AT&T. AT&T distributes some well-understood residential gateways. If there's a vulnerability, that vulnerability gets to be well-understood as well. So with a real firewall set up, not only do you have to get through the residential gateway, you've got to get through the firewall that's on the other side of it as well. And ISPs have not been known to be great about keeping current or distributing updates quickly because they have to build no. and test and validate all their firmwares. And there's, there's usually a significant lag between... Those modems or residential gateways are the cheapest thing they can hand out. Uh, Spectrum in my area is handing out free modems now to compete with to compete and i know that you know those modems work but i've replaced them left right and sideways they're kind of i know it's the cheapest thing they can physically put in my house yeah the only thing you got to watch out for from the for from some of those cheaper uh hardware firewalls is that they will have like an integrated four port switch on them but the switch will be in software so if you start doing VLANs on them and try to route traffic between them, uh, you will not. If you get can configure full... VLANs on them, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, but it's like if you get like a little PFSense box, uh, you know, most of, unless the unless there's ASICs in there, it's going to be doing software based uh, routing and over the or software based switching, and you will not get full line speed uh, going between like two VLANs. So, what point are folks going to notice in a home or small office having ASICs on your main switch. I would the say switch that's behind your PFSense box. If you're using a file server and especially if you have that in a separate VLAN, you're gonna notice that off the bat. If someone's pulling if a lot of people are trying to pull down data and you're expecting to get near gigabit speeds, you will not get those uh if it's not being you know if you're not getting the full uh line speed. Or if you're using it to terminate your VPN, um there can be significant performance impacts there. So somebody using the VPN would have significantly degraded performance on top of whatever their link speed would be. Right. So it is something to think about. And that's the other thing to think about too, is that, um, you know, even like with the ubiquity hardware is that, yes, it can do uh, like a given internet connection, but then if you add any service on top of it, like especially IPS or IDS, you immediately reduce the throughput to say 200 megabits per second. Um, it's only when you start getting into higher end equipment can you keep up with your full uh, 
internet speed and get those services. That's been a really common thing I've noticed in my own network at home and what other people do is they'll get a, you know, 200 megabit connectivity plan and then the firewall they have or the the wireless access points that they have are cheap and only have 100 gigabit ports on the back of them. So at that point, you know, you're why are you paying that much money for the plan? <laughs> one of my friends was using one of the the Raspberry Pi workalikes, um, the Atomic Pi, or one of the, maybe a Banana Pi, and he discovered, he got Google Fiber at home, and he discovered that the, the Pi only had, or the Pi clone, only had 300 megabits available on the backplane because it was USB 2 based or something. And so he had a gigabit connection and he could only use a third of it. And that brought him up short and he had to go swap out gear. Because... I've been really interested in using a Pi or something like that for a firewall because that's a really powerful device, but the built-in Ethernet port hangs off the USB uh, bus and you need at least another one, so you're attaching a USB dongle. Well, interestingly, and, uh, the Raspberry Pi 4, once they fix their USB-C power connector issue, it has true gigabit Ethernet on it because it's using USB-C. Or it's using USB 3 and not USB 2. And this lets them have a lot more bandwidth available. So they're they're advertising that they have a full, gig, full gigabit Ethernet NIC. And you can probably put in a USB 3 to gigabit Ethernet adapter onto it and actually have it do um, at least full speed, if not line speed, at, at switching and what Jared was mentioning about doing more security-focused things. Um, it'll be a lot faster than it was in the past. There's also a bunch of different clone boards out there. Um, there's, there's ones that have SATA connections, that have NVMe connections, that have x86 processors on them. They're more than capable for doing this. They, the price goes up rather quickly, unfortunately. You're not talking about a $35. I've looked at the PC engines of boards, which... Yeah. It's a Chinese company, um, but they manufacture boards and cases, and so you could build enough stuff to to build your own in a nice case, do a professional job with it, of a little embedded computer that, yeah, you can run a PFSense or Linux or anything else on, has a reasonable speed, gigabit speed, ports on it, even reasonable wireless, but yeah, those get pretty pricey pretty quickly. Yeah, I was going to mention that. There are another option, uh, but you're right. I mean, once you add in that a case, uh, you're you're at least talking several hundred dollars. Um, but, I mean, you get what you pay for because a lot of those have uh, Intel NICs. And part of this is what's expensive if you're paying 100 bucks a month for your Internet plan anyway. And keep in mind that if you're running a business and you have an Internet plan and they know you're a business, your price just tripled. Yeah. Because... That's the way they do it. I was looking at a house kind of remote from the population centers a couple of years ago in terms of purchase, and the only way to get the Time Warner folks to run, basically the only way to get internet to the house, any real internet, was to get enough people on the street to sign up for business class internet, which I thought, oh, that'd be fine. You know, I'm using it for work anyway, and having a better SLA would be good. And it turns out that, no, you don't get an SLA, you don't get better speed you don't get better service all you get is a guarantee that when there's a problem they'll tell you there's a problem and it costs four times as much yeah it's usually the same quality they may just roll the trucks faster when you call in for support 
Yeah, it was it was off-putting. Yeah, that's... So really, I think a lot of their decisions about building a, a small performant network, frankly, come down into working with and taking advantage of your your provider for internet. And be warned that some of the home providers, um, I have the AT&T fiber to, in, into my house, so I have gigabit ethernet to my house, but they make it extraordinarily difficult to decouple their residential gateway from their service. You have to either run your router inside their network under basically a DMZ inside of their, their setup or do some weird authentication bypass hacks that are not terribly well-documented or usable. Um, you can do it. It's just it's a lot more work. Yeah, that's putting it politely. They really want you to use their devices because that's how they control access and that's how they gate um, speeds and those kinds of things. So they don't want you using your own devices. Whereas the Time Warner stuff in the past, when I was using them, they said, yeah, here's your cable modem. Whatever the MAC address of the thing you plug into it, just tell us that MAC address and we're good. So that was really I easy really like that with cable. The fact that you know, they just give me a cable modem and it does nothing other than what a modem should do. And I plug the real internet IP address into my firewall. And I've looked at... at what's required to do similar with the AT&T residential gateway and oh what's the protocol uh X502 I think that's right I don't even remember it's yeah that's an ethernet protocol that they use it's a standard protocol um that does certificate mutual auth authentication before it will issue you a DHCP address and, of course, the certificate that you need is inside the residential gateway. So the only way to get Internet access is through that gateway or by doing other non-standard packet inspection and packet routing. And that's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, and that's more for, like, if you're for if you're a home user. If you're a business, if you're doing this for your business and you're trying to do all that, you're you're setting yourself up for a lot of headache. Well, most of the small businesses that I've I've helped out with stuff, um, not being tech companies, but being the the corner retail store or whatever that needs internet for their point of their their point of sales or for customers to browse knitting patterns or whatnot, they're just consumer grade hardware they drop into your business. There's nothing special there. Nothing so special. It's only when you. Oh, get by the to... way, if you're in that situation, and you're using your own wireless access point. Mount the wireless access point above your point of sale systems. You'll yes. thank me later. It's only when you get to a when you when you're actually leasing like commercial office space that you would get a what I would consider a real internet connection. Where when you call up your ISP, they actually come out and they look at your gear and they they connect to your router, um, and that is usually a little more involved than just the oh hey here's here's your cable modem have fun. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, when they're running circuits to your presence, um, to your office, yeah, then you actually have a real internet connection. Okay, so now we've 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 talked about getting your connect the connection from the ISP into your network through your router and through your basic firewalls. What do you guys do from there? Uh, so uh, I am going to do um, probably unless I can talk myself out of it, I'm going to get a ubiquity switch. Uh, most likely it's going to be the edge switch, though, so that way I can configure it through the CLI. 
Uh, it also gives you layer three options as well, because I'm still debating whether I'm going to do uh, interview land routing or router on a stick. Uh, and then beyond that, I'm going to probably use, uh, again, Ubiquity uh, APs for the wireless portion of the network. My home network is really super simple. I have PFSense and a Microtik switch behind that that does wireless as well as work as sort of a primary switch, which powers my office. And I run some Ethernet to other parts of the house and have another AP in other parts of the house to complete coverage. It's a really simple network in a star formation. There's definitely things that I could do to make it slightly more performant. Um, you know, having a real switch with ASICs, you know, a Netgear switch as the center switch in the star. But then again, part of of building your home network and trying to get good performance out of it is figuring out how to do it without having to buy the entire inventory of Best Buy. Well, also, if you're, like, my, my home network, I have the fiber comes into the house, and then I've run Ethernet throughout the, the, the conditioned crawl space that runs the length of both sides of the house, and that's how I get my desktops and some of the audio video gear onto the network, like the file server and some of the other pieces, like the, the Plex machine, are all on actual wired gigabit because I don't trust wireless, even with the advances they've made, to be performant at all times. And then I put <laughs> a pair of access points, AC access points, at either end of the house to give me kind of mesh coverage. And the Ubiquity stuff does a really good job doing the handoff internally that way. But one of the things that I find really interesting is that if you have a friend who isn't colorblind like me, you can go and buy a spool of 500 or 1,000 feet of Ethernet cable and run pretty easily in most, in most environments much better than you're ever going to see in terms of wireless performance. So my desktop generally gets 800 meg down, 800 meg up on my gigabit connection, which you will never see on wireless in a consistent way. And if you spend a little bit of time to run some cable through your walls or your ceiling or under underneath the, the crawl space of the house, or if you have access in the small business that you're working, um, we actually helped wire up an office that, Jared, that Jack worked out of. And if you can run a piece of physical cable, it always wins. Absolutely. If you're doing IT work or any type of job that depends on on internet connectivity and a little bit of bandwidth or a lot of bandwidth. Yeah. Find a place where you can have a hard line. There is nothing that beats having an ethernet cable plugged into your, to your machine. Um, at my office, which I think the, the three of us did a lot to, to fix some of the network issues there. One of the common problems I have is even though we installed ubiquity wireless points through the house, Sometimes my Mac doesn't get doesn't have that great a connection, you know, when doing Zoom or Skype calls. And the easy fix is simply for me to whip out the little dongle I have and plug it into Ethernet. And that gets me routed around some of the other crazy that's on the network. Yeah, speaking of wired, uh with the new house situation, I'm gonna have a detached spot that's going to be my office and uh i am really considering to do fiber uh between the houses um because i want a wired connection a lot of people keep telling me oh you should do wireless you could do 
a gigabit backhaul between the two places with Come wireless. On, Jared, you should just do wireless. It'll be easy. It'll be cheap. Just do wireless. It'll work. It, it so, will work, but... <laughs> what's the decision between fiber versus copper? So the decision there are two things. Uh, the one is uh, the potential of differing grounds or ground loops uh, due to the how the building is built, where the exactly where power is coming from. In my instance, I know that one of the buildings actually gets power from a different part of the subdivision. So the, it's most likely going to have a different ground than the main house. Jared, you really did buy a compound and not a house. <laughs> <laughs> and then two uh, is uh, lightning strikes. If you have copper running, you're going to need to you're you're going to need to ground that. Um, if you've ever noticed, like especially uh, as um, either cable uh, comes into your house or uh, pots, telephone lines come to your house. Uh, when they come into the little box that the providers provide you, they have stuff grounding uh, those cables before they go into the home. Uh, that's to prevent any kind of surges or, or anything like that. So I would need to deal with that if I'm going to run Cat Cat Six underground. And honestly, fiber costs have come way down. I can get a, a some um fiber cable for about what I would pay uh or what well let me put it this way I can get a hundred foot of, of fiber for roughly the cost of a spool of a thousand foot of cat six so there isn't you can get a hundred feet of terminated fiber. Right. Multi-mode? Exactly. Yeah I can get a I can get a hundred foot of terminated fiber, six strands for under a hundred dollars. Um and that That's is tempting. It's very tempting. Uh SFPs have come down in cost. Ubiquity makes some uh, uh, Microtics makes them. A lot of them make them now. They're like and a lot of the Microtik and Ubiquity hardware have SFP ports. Exactly. I'm looking at an SFP port on my main switch right now. So, and with the, the six availability of... of those has has really entered the consumer market. And with the six strands on the fiber, you can put two of them together, lag them together on the switches, and now you have two gigabits of throughput. Um, uh, with a little slight asterisk pending on that it's not like your single machine to another connection is going to get it but well long story short uh it gives you a little redundancy it gives you some uh boost in speed uh, and it's wired uh, and that's the biggest thing for me is i really do not like wireless and if i can do wired i'm going to do wired if i can help it oh just because it's you know 10 times the latency jared i don't understand why you don't like wireless in my last environment that i was wiring up a external building for um for work when i was at home we went ahead and just trenched and ran conduit and put underground copper because it was easier. There was a lot of overhanging limbs. We didn't want like a windstorm to knock something down and, and kill an aerial connection of whatever. And I also really just don't trust wireless to give me good performance, especially when it needs to work all the time because this is my work and not, this isn't just, Hey, I'd, lo- I'd love to have TV in my shed. This is, this is how I'm getting most of my work done these days. Right, and that's me. And and see, the the main internet connection is going to be in the main house, so I'm going to need reliable connection out to the place where I'm working. Um, and so that's the reason I feel like if I put in a little more time and run fiber, I'm not going to have any fuss. Uh, so that's probably what I'm going to do. So for me, I think uh, what keeps me away from fiber is I'm so not accustomed to using it and thinking it's expensive and, you know, that's the professional folks in the data center kind of thing. And really, fiber is quite inexpensive now. 
Uh, there's the whole thing about single mode versus multi-mode, which multi-mode, I think, is what most folks want to use. Single mode is usually for your multiple mile long haul kind of connection. You'll want to use single mode. You want to use single mode? Yep. That, that used to be the argument. How far away is your shed? Yeah, it's it's like 50 feet. It's it, But the point is, is that the cost between multi-mode and single modes come down so much that there's no They're reason to, pretty to put in multi-mode anymore. Used to multi-mode, especially if you got like, uh, what was the rating? OM5 or 4 or whatever. Um, you could get it dirt really cheap compared to single mode. But nowadays, single mode is so cheap. You might as well go ahead and put in single mode because then single mode gives you the uh, higher throughput for longer distances and not for that much more money. So honestly, Higher distances being like, you know, 50 miles. Right. Really long. And you could still get up to, t- you know, you could still get 10 gig or even higher. So, yeah, I was about to ask you to forgive my ignorance, but what is the max data rate on the single mode these days? Is, is it forty gig Ethernet that goes on single mode, or is it? I think it's closer to a hundred, isn't it? For short for short runs, it can it can go up to a hundred gigabit. I want to say, but uh, I would have to double check on that. So it's definitely if you're if you're looking at future proofing your your home network or your office network, and you're doing fiber. It's yes. actually easier to have a higher data rate on fiber than it is because then now you're dealing with, you know, cat five E versus cat six versus whatever other standards there are. And are you running too long of a run to get the 10 gig speeds on copper and whatnot? Yeah. The interesting thing about fiber is you don't have to upgrade the fiber. You upgrade the, the SFP modules at both ends. So buy switches with an SFP port you need an SFP module for both ends of the connection and a pair of fiber between both those SFP modules. Exactly. And then and, you have a connection. And all this talk, too, I just we're, we're talking about pre-terminated fiber, too. Do not try to terminate fiber on your own. That cost, that cost That's where the real cost comes into play. You've got to have tens of thousands of dollars of equipment to help you terminate it correctly and test it and... Just get pre-terminated fiber and, and bite the bullet that way. When I was an undergrad many, many, many moons ago, they had just installed the fiber ring on campus because they were moving off of serial connections back to the mainframe effectively onto Ethernet, and they were building a, a big ring network with fiber. And I want to say it was a 100 pair or something. And two weeks before school started that fall, after they just finished this huge project, somebody with a backhoe who didn't read the don't dig here thing correctly put the backhoe through all the fiber. Oh, man. And this was in 98, 97. And some some poor contractor just realized that they had ripped through a whole bunch of fiber. And that stuff isn't cheap. That's tens of thousands of dollars or more. Yeah, it was. It was ugly. All right, Jared, no backhoes in your yard. That's right. I well, the, he was thinking if you have power coming in off of a separate, off a separate separate ingress from your your main house, you might want to consider getting two ISPs. You know, get something that's inexpensive, a, a, a basically a backup connection like a DSL. There's an inexpensive or ISP. Well, something like a, a DSL connection that isn't that is tens of dollars a month and not hundreds of dollars a month. And then, if your main connection is having issues, you would then have the option of actually having a kind of an emergency like oh i can still get on the internet i can still do basic things from and not have to like tether my phone or do other other shenanigans the thought has occurred especially being able to go into like one 
go into one building and then go into another, um, almost like a, <laughs> a real data center. Um, but yeah, it's the cost that's going to probably be prohibitive for that. Well, if you do go that route, I would love to, I'd love to talk about it here again. And I'm hoping that with your change in house and your change of schedule, you'll be on more often. That's the yeah, plan. Jared. Yay. I really, I really do miss being here. And with that, please take the time to rate this show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. And that wraps it up for the 74th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night. Google Home.